Last week I was told my mic went out several times. I didn't hear it, so. <laughs> if you want to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, I say to you, hear the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I do pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. I pray that you would change us in, as individuals and change us as a church as well. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Well, this morning is the second in our 15-part series on uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, or Race, Ethnicity, and Missions. And if you weren't here last week, if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to listen to it, because in that sermon I explain why I'm even doing this kind of series, um, but also I talked about the end. And in other words, where is all history heading? And all of history is heading, if you look at the book of Revelation, to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every imaginable color, every imaginable nationality, standing around the throne of God and worshiping. So if you're a Christian, that is your future. That is part of your future, at least. And remember, I also said that as part of that, what we can either fight that or we can facilitate that as Christians. In other words, we can help to, to, to usher that in or we can buck against it. The reason we're doing this series, another reason, is my hope is that we as a church are facilitating that end. That, that we, are, we are participating in God's great uh, redemptive narrative to bring all tribes and nations to himself. And so last week we looked at the very end of the story where we're heading, and so this week we're going to begin at the beginning, right, at, at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to talk about this thing called the image of God. And as usual, I'll start with a question, and the question I'm sure is, is an easy one. The question is this, what color was Adam? You ever thought about that? What color is Eve? Now, some of you might have immediately thought white because that's the paradigm in your head. You just think white Jesus, white everybody, white everything. Some of you might have thought black or Middle Eastern. You know, we're, we're taught in, in school that Africa is the cradle of civilization and everything comes out of Africa. So some of us just assume he must have been black. Interestingly enough, the Garden of Eden is in, in where Iraq is now, which if you look at the map, it's interesting because you go in either one direction, you get Asia, another direction, you get Africa, another direction, you get Europe. It's a pretty generic place. Now, why is that? I don't, I don't know God's mind, but what I do know is he didn't tell us what color Adam is, and I think that's important. That Adam is, when God created humanity, he didn't create a race of people. In fact, you don't have races and nationalities and different languages until Genesis chapter 10, and it's a result of sin. So we don't know what color Adam was. In fact, Adam, was, Adam and Eve were non-ethnic, they were non-national, and they represent all people, not some people. 
right? Let, let's just say we knew for definitively that Adam was a, a, of European descent. That's how everything started, and then, then everything branched out from there. Then it would be easy to say, well, Adam just represents Europeans, or Adam just represents Africans, or Adam just represents Middle Easterners. Adam represents all people. That's a good thing, and that's a bad thing we're going to find out. So what, what, basically when you look at a uh, creation story, God creates everything by the word of his power, and he creates the, the heavens and the earth, he creates light, he creates the animals, and the, the climax of his creation is he creates a creature that is different than every other creature. And it's humans. Now what differentiates humans from every other creature? Now scientists... Uh, Theologians, they argue about this. Some say it's man's capacity for religion, and some say it's the fact that we are moral, and some say it's the fact that we use tools, whatever it is. But what the, the Bible says what differentiates us from all the rest of creation is that we were created, Adam and Eve were created, and subsequently we were created in the image of God. Now, what do I mean by image? I mean by image exactly what it sounds like, at least for the, for the purposes of this sermon. What, what is an image? What does an image do? So if you think of, it, of an image, let's say the Mona Lisa. What does the image do? The, well, the Mona Lisa is a reflection of the original Mona Lisa, I assume. Or Da Vinci, depending on who you believe. Either way, you look at this picture, and it, and it both reflects something of a, a person, but it also represents a person. We know that it's the Mona Lisa because it's clearly that, that that's who it is. It represents. So... This week, as we're looking at the image of God, we're going to look at three things, basically. And we're going to look at the fact that, number one, we reflect the image of God. Secondly, we represent the image of God. And finally, we actually participate in the restoration of the image of God in other people. Okay? So when I say that we are the image of God, that's the three things I'm talking about, that we reflect God's image, that we represent God's image, and that we participate in the restoration of God's image in other people. So let's talk about image for a minute and what it would have meant to Israel. So remember I told you that, that an image is basically like a picture or a statue or something that represents something else, and, and if it's a person, it represents a person. Now I want you to think about Genesis 1. I want you to think about Israel for a second. And Israel has been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. That's, that's where I want you to put your mind right now. So, you, so you're in Israel, or at least part of the nation of Israel. You've been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. You've been slaves. You've been treated as subhuman. And in Egypt, there is one individual who represents the image of God to everyone else. Can you guess who it is? Anyone? It's Pharaoh. Right? In Egypt, there was one person. Pharaoh represented the image of God. Everyone else was lower than that. And if you were not Egyptian, you were lower than that. And if someone is lower than you, you are justified, at least in their minds and in most people's minds, of treating them as lower than you. Now, Moses probably wrote the book of Genesis to either persuade Israel that they needed to leave Egypt, or he wrote it shortly after they left Egypt, and he was persuading them that they made the right decision. And so now imagine you, you're, you've have been in slavery for 400 years, generationally, you've been treated as subhuman, and then you start reading the Bible around the campfire, and you get to this passage, and it says this, it says, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, the heavens, the livestock, over all the earth, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, 
he created them. What would be going through your mind? You've been treated your whole life as if you were subhuman, that Pharaoh was the image of God, and Moses is now telling you, no, 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 no. You, Israel, are the image of God. All humans are created in the image of God. All humans were given dominion. All humans, Pharaoh rules Egypt, but you as a human were, were created to rule the whole world. Now, do you think if you were a slave, that would, actually, that, that would lift your spirits at all? If you had spent your life thinking you were subhuman and suddenly you read that you were in the image of God, that Pharaoh was not better than you, that in fact you are on the same footing as the most powerful human being in, on earth. Now, conversely, you are no better than Pharaoh. You see, the problem where we start to run into to racism, at least from a Christian perspective, is when we begin to consider other people as being less than the image of God. When you, when you look at the history and negative things that have happened in the history of the church, whether it be Christians who advocated slavery in the United States or, or other things like that, the Spanish conquistadors when they came over, how did the Spanish conquistadors justify just mass genocide? Which they did. Well, Spanish conquistadors could justify genocide if they could look at all these natives and somehow rationalize in their mind that they are subhuman that if they're not created in in the image of god then they're just simply animals and if they're simply animals then we are made to rule over them and to have dominion over them and so what's it matter and that, that was the same rationalization made by some slaveholders not all some were driven purely by profit and they were just evil <laughs> but others sought to rationalize it if we can make out that africans are less than human or subhuman then it really doesn't matter how we treat them they were, they were trying to be consistent in some sick way with the Bible. And so the beginning of racism in some level is when you begin to look at other people and see them as subhuman. When you begin to look at other races and see them as somehow lower than you because of maybe the, the, their cultural values or something like that. But the fact is every single human being that has ever existed and every single human being that exists now has been created in the image of God and is worthy of that dignity. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, he has this great, a very famous line. And basically he says, the, the individuals that you meet every day on the street, that you rub elbows with on the bus, the people that you snub at work, all of these people, one day you will be tempted to worship them. Because there are no mere mortals. There just aren't. That every single human being around you right now is not a mortal, but in fact is a king or a queen. In fact, let's take a moment right now. Look at the person beside you and say, good morning, your majesty. Right? Felt good, didn't it? Might not have felt good to say it, but it felt good to hear it. That's who you are. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? How do we understand that you know, the, the way, right, I'm Presbyterian, I'm a theological nerd. The easiest way for me to get my head around it is this. So if you think about the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four, which I know all of you are like, oh, I know what that is. It's the question, what is God? And immediately you think, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being wisdom, holiness, justice, power, truth. Okay? So God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being wisdom, justice, holiness, power, truth. Well, the difference between us and God, fundamentally, is that God, those first three words, that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We are creatures, 
who are not infinite, but in fact are, are finite. We are not eternal, but we are temporal, and we are not unchangeable for sure, but we are changeable. However, what we reflect of God is his being, wisdom, justice, holiness, power, goodness, and truth. Some of us reflect it very well, some of us don't reflect it that much at all, but we all reflect it. Those are the kinds of things that we reflect. Theologians, by the way, call those the communicable attributes of God. Those are the things that we share with him, that we reflect to the world. And so one way to understand it is besides that is also to think that in everything we do we are reflecting God's image so in all of our being in all of our speech and everything we do we're reflecting God's image to other people even when we sin now how are we reflecting God's image when we sin well we, we, we're always reflecting but we're reflecting it in a, in a negative way we're reflecting it sort of like a photo negative right if, you, if it, those of you you know under 30 or 20, and me, who watched, use TikTok all the time, right? People make videos, and in the video, it, everything is backwards. And you're trying to, like, read what book they're holding up, and it's backwards. That's what I mean when we reflect God's image. We reflect it. It's just backwards and upside down. It's just not right. But we're always reflecting it. And not only are we reflecting it, but you think about um, how does God want us to reflect it? Well, God gave Israel the law. Why did God give Israel the law? to instruct them in how to reflect him to the rest of the nations. That's why we were given the Ten Commandments. It's not, we weren't just given the Ten Commandments to be good. We weren't just given the moral law so that we would know how to act right, so that God would love us. We were actually given the moral law so that we would be able to reflect the character of God, not just to each other, not just to ourselves, but to all of the nations. All of the nations around Israel. And so what happens when you don't take into account the fact that we're created in the image of God? You know, I was given a book a couple of years ago, and I just started reading it by a guy named Gerald Bray, and it's called God is Love. And he says, here's what he says about the fact that if, that if we forget that man is made in God's image, or humanity, he said, if man is no more than an animal, moral and spiritual considerations have no real importance, and we are reduced to the level of enlightened self-interest and the survival of the fittest, the law of the jungle in a sophisticated but unmistakable form. If we are responsible to no one, we are guilty of nothing, and traditional codes of rights and obligations are replaced by claims of oppression and victimhood, which are no more than cries of the weaker against the power of the stronger. Reverse the roles, and this pattern is also reversed. As we have seen in Israel, where Jews discriminate against Arabs in ways reminiscent of their own sufferings of the past. By the way, he's talking about present-day Israel. In, in other words, Israel has been mistreated for, for most of her history, and now they have power, and they begin to mistreat in turn. Now, you may or may not agree with that, but the fact is, is a lot of what they're doing is not very loving. And the point is just this, is that without this concept of people being made in the image of God, it's easy to say, I have been oppressed, and the remedy to my oppression is to oppress others. Right? That, that, if, it, that if, it's either, if it's always going to be the strong versus the weak, I just need to become the strong. I need to become the strong, and then when I'm the strong, no one's going to treat me like this anymore. Right? I know how, how that feels. I grew up feeling that way. Those of you who've grown up in abusive homes, did you not grow up thinking, when I get older, no one's going to treat me this way? Now imagine, take that to the level of a whole nation, and things could get very ugly. That's what happens when you don't take into account that people are created in the image of God. All these, the, the worldviews out there that are trying to help us deal with racism, besides the fact that they don't 
take into account his forgiveness. And besides the fact that they, they breed an outward conformity without an inward transformation, if they don't take into account that every human being has value and dignity, whether they are black or white or Asian or Native American, then there is no hope for that worldview to bring any kind of help or restoration. It will just replace one kind of oppression, one kind of systemic racism with another kind of systemic racism. And so we, we were made to reflect God's image, and all of us not only reflect it, but when we don't, when we, when we don't recognize that in others, it, it is tantamount to an, an assault on the God himself. So let me explain what I mean by that. Proverbs 14.31 says, Those who oppress the, the poor insult the, their maker. Proverbs 17.5 says, whoever mocks the poor insults their maker. And it basically, it, it's like this. A few weeks ago when Ruben preached, he gave a great illustration. I, I think I told you that was a good illustration. Um, because I, if nothing else, I'm encouraging. Would you not say that? <laughs> <laughs> that if someone breaks into your house with a Sharpie and they just mark over one person, like so, so let's say someone breaks into my house and they go to all of their family photographs and they just take a Sharpie and put an X over my face and no one else's. When you walk in, you might say, wow, someone broke in, and you're upset. And then you start looking, and you're saying, I was the only one defaced. And then you start thinking, why did they pick on me? When in fact, they didn't pick on you. They just put an X over your face on a picture. But that's how God feels when we deface His image in other people, when we mock other people, when we, when we denigrate other people, because they are in His image. And we, I don't think we keep that in mind enough. That when we make comments about politicians and we call them idiots and we call you know the all of the negative things that i hear all the time i'm going to be so bold as to say god hates that god hates that because when you assault and insult his image you assault and insult him now that's not to say you can't criticize someone's political theory and all that kind of stuff but when it becomes personal you are in dangerous ground that leads us to the next point we not only reflect God's glory, but we represent God's glory or God's image. Notice it says in um, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So one of the ways we represent God's image is by, ex, by, by demonstrating and living out what theologians would call the creation mandate. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And what is the creation mandate? The creation mandate basically calls us to do two things. The first thing it calls us to do is to be fruitful and multiply. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, on its face, if you were Adam and Eve, it meant be fruitful and multiply. It meant produce children. That God creates, and God creates being, and you, as, as his representatives, you do the same thing. That what God's intention for Eden was, was not to just put two individuals in there, and for them to just live their lives, you know, in just paradise, and not ever have to talk about anything else, right? It's just sort of, you know, hand me the grapes, Adam, you know, like, no. That their job was to be in the garden, to work it, and to keep it, and to constantly and consistently expand God's presence throughout the whole earth. And you expanded God's presence throughout the whole earth by creating more copies of his image. You see, in the ancient Near East, as a king would, would 
take over territory, if he was conquering other nations, he would take over someplace and then he would put his, uh, an image of himself there. And so when you rode through, you would know, whoa, this land belongs to Nebuchadnezzar now or whoever the king was. And so God's just using something Israel would have understood in the first place, that what kings do is kings put their image where they, where they rule. And God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth because I rule the whole earth, and by your presence on the whole earth, they will know it. And so there, there are two implications to being fruitful and multiplied, two or, two or three at least. The first is, is that you, if you're Christians, and, and you're married, and you're able to have children, you probably should. That, ha- that having children is a, is a, it's a mandate, not in the sense that it's a command like the Ten Commandments, but it's something that God has told us to do, and it's a good thing. I mean, think about in the early, in Adam and Eve days, the way they did evangelism. How did they fill the earth with God's glory? How did they fill the earth? What was the great commission to them? It was sex, right? <laughs> have sex, have kids. Things could be a lot worse than that. The flip side of that is Adam and Eve were to, to create copies of themselves, other copies of God's image to fill the earth. Now, a negative side of that that we deal with in modern days is, this whole issue, is the issue of abortion. That if a child at conception is created and is created in the image of God, how dare we destroy that? And I, and I know there are reasons that people have tough choices to make, but just from a purely image of God point of view, it's horrible. In the United States, you know how many babies have been uh, aborted since 1973? 62 million. 62 million. It could go up to 250 million if you take into account chemical abortions. And these are all images of God that just aren't here anymore. They're images of God that would have been, would have come and they would have taken their place as rulers on this earth. I always think when I think of the, the question of abortion, how many of those 62 million, statistically speaking, that would have been able to cure cancer, would have been able to fly us to Mars? All of, they're just not here anymore. And since I, I, this sermon series, I expect to be in trouble most of the time, let's just take it a step further. <laughs> let's talk about systemic racism for a minute. For all the people I hear who say, oh, there's no such thing as systemic racism. Well, let's talk about the issue of abortion. The government funds abortion providers. 80% of abortion providers are in minority communities. 20 million of the 60 million babies that have been aborted are black babies. Now, I don't know about you, but the government funding providers that go to minority communities and produce a third of the abortions from an from a organization that started out as a eugenics organization, that feels very systemic to me. And the church should be saying something about that. The church should not just be protesting, but is the church behind adoption? Is the church behind foster care? Is the church behind mothers that need help? Some of you have adopted. Some of you are adopted. Some of you participate in those ministries. God bless you and thank you for that. The church needs to be speaking to that. The church needs to be helping that because these people are in the image of God. So with that said, let me move on to something less controversial, dominion. <laughs> what do I mean by dominion? By, basically by dominion, I, I mean we rule the planet on God's behalf. That, that Adam and Eve and all of their copies, that would be us, rule the earth on God's behalf. That means you and I are kings and queens, princes and princesses that are responsible for what happens to creation around us. Now, let me just go ahead and point out very quickly, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. 
That doesn't mean you can pollute, you can kill all the animals, you can, <laughs> you can destroy everything. In fact, it means just the opposite. You know, I'm going to be honest, this is going to surprise some of you guys, but I am the biggest complainer in the world about government regulations. Especially, I remember, I drive an old truck, it's a 2001 truck, and every year I get my registration, it's like, you have to have an emissions test. Right, you want to hear Pastor Cuss, that's the time to hear me. Come when I open that envelope, you've got to get an emissions test. They ended it. Um, and I remember the first time I went to Ethiopia. I went to Ethiopia, I forget it was the first or second time, and I remember looking up into the sky and thinking, Jesus is coming back. Because as I looked up into the sky, there was a huge circle around the sun, and it was just glowing. And I asked a missionary, I said, what's going on here? And he said, that's just pollution. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's just pollution. The pollution, the smog and things are so bad that it goes up and creates a ring around the sun, and the sun shines through it, and it creates that effect. And I remember when I got home, I never complained about emission control again. That's true. When you see what it's like when people don't take care of the environment, when you see what it's like when people don't take care of all the creeping things, of the sheep and the cattle, you begin to realize how important that it is. That is our job. It's also your job at work. Where you work is your primary place of worship. And by that, I don't mean leaving Holy Joe tracks all over the place, but by that, I mean that that is the place where you reflect God's creative image to the rest of the world. That might be as an accountant, that might be as a mom, it might be as a dog, it might be anything. But when you do it to the glory of God, you're reflecting His image. And so finally, last thing, I'll finish up with this, that we participate in the restoration of God's image in other people. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, while we were created in God's image, when Adam and Eve were created in God's image, they were created in God's perfect image. And God told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did. And at that point, Adam and Eve's image was twisted, if you were, as you were. It, it, was, it was distorted. And so Adam and Eve's image was distorted, and as soon as they started making copies, they were working from a bad copy themselves, and so they produced distorted copies. And that would ultimately be us. And the only way that God was going to, to untwist that image was in some way to start over with a new Adam. That's why when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is called the second Adam. Let me tell you, read you real quickly what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me read again the first line. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That Jesus came as the second Adam, and he was a perfect copy. And Jesus, the perfect copy... <laughs> lived the life that the distorted copies should have lived, died the death that the distorted copies should have died, and rose again. And then, having risen from the dead, he sent his spirit to start untwisting people. And the way we facilitate that, the way we participate in that, is we tell other people the gospel. He does that primarily through the preaching of his word, through the sharing of this thing we call the gospel. That among other reasons, besides duty and besides it's a command, that's one of the reasons that we do missions. We don't do missions just because, oh, those poor people over in Africa, those poor people over in whatever place that we look down upon need to know Jesus. We do missions because there are images of God all over the world that need to be redeemed and untwisted. And having been untwisted ourselves and in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, how can we not help but 
do that for other people? How can we not help but extend that to other people? Now, where do we start doing that kind of thing? Because every, every time you talk about evangelism in church, every time you talk about reaching out, every time you talk about participating, people start getting nervous. And they're like, wow, you know, I'm pretty introverted. I, you know, I don't need to do that. Or I don't know how to do that. Well, you know, if you have time, if you have Amazon Prime sometime in the next week or so, watch a movie called Accidental Courtesy. It's free on Amazon Prime. And Accidental Courtesy is a story of a, man, a jazz pianist named Daryl Davis. He's still alive. Daryl Davis, basically, when he was a, he's a young, he's, he's middle-aged now, but when he was a young black man, someone did, made some racial slur toward him, and his first response was not anger. His first response was, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? That's what he thought. How can you hate me if you don't know me? And so he thought, I'm going to make it my mission in life to have white people know who I am. And he didn't just go to any white people. He made an appointment with the Grand Wizard of Ku Klux Klan. And he started going around and making appointments with Ku Klux Klan members, especially the leadership, and he didn't tell them he was black. He would call and say, I'd like to have an appointment with you. And they'd say, sure. And they'd come, and in the process of him, them getting to know him, guess what? They couldn't hate him. It's not even a ministry. He, it, as a result of, of him doing this, over 200 individuals have left the clan. They saw the error of their ways and left. But the only way they did that is they got to know someone who was not like them, but who nonetheless was also in the image of God. You see, when you're with someone and they're reflecting the image of God to you, you can't help but reflect it back and suddenly you get to know them and suddenly things start to get better. So do you want to do a practical application on how to start participating in the restoration of all humanity? Start getting to know people who are not like you. Start getting to know neighbors who are not like you. All of us, if you live in Kent, you probably have neighbors who are not the same color as you. Start getting to know them. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would just um, continue to help us as a church facilitate what you are doing in the world, uh, in the restoration of your image. In Christ's name we pray, amen.